This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before I butcher the intro, just a quick one from us to say thank you to everyone yet again for the ever-increasing listens and interactions and an even bigger thank you to everyone who has voted for us in this year's Football Content Awards. If you'd like to vote for us, there's a link in our bio on Twitter and Facebook and I might probably chuck it in the podcast description to make life easier for you or you can search the Football Content Awards on Google and pop us in the best podcast football league category. There isn't the most mediocre football podcast, so I think we'd definitely win that. Anyway, on with the pod. A second away day of the season saw a pilgrimage to the second city to play their second tier side, in which Argyle fell to their second injury time defeat in a row. Joining me tonight are two men who braved long bus journeys up north, one on a mega bus and one on the Kersey Express. Sam Down, how's things? I'm just currently flabbergasted that you managed to do that whole intro without the errors I've made. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a couple fantastic. of starts with a couple of ums, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll there, take there, it. Were, there, were, there were no, oh no, and starting again. So that's always, always, always good. Um, yeah, uh, how, how, how was my day? Um, yeah, well, pretty sickening between about no one five o'clock and six o'clock when I cheered up. Was that not the, you know, we said, how are you? Oh no, we said, how are you? Not how's your day, sorry. Well, no, how was good. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you want to vote for us for best podcast in the Football League category. <laughs> <laughs> and here to provide some more waffle, John Alsop. How's things? Uh, good. Thank you. Did you like your um, berating from Sur- Southampton fans, telling you that you, you chat pure waffle? I, I quite like waffles. The sort of I like the potato ones. I'm not so keen on the, the sweet. So you're, but you're saying that you hate Belgians? I'm not saying that. Oh, good. Sam, you, you already tried to do it. Why don't you do it then? Why don't you run us through the uh, 2-1 loss away at Birmingham first? Yeah, so after a bit of a false start, we'll go again. Um, I think it was a it was a heartbreaking moment, for sure. Not not least because of the fact that we'd had a header sort of... Um, well, sorry, it was, it was, I don't know if it was a header, but it, it was headed off the line by a Birmingham defender, but she could have scored a bit before. I don't really think it would ever... Going in, it was going a bit too slowly and it was always the defenders to get in the way of. But I think if Butcher had made a bit of a cleaner connection, got it a bit more into the corner, made the defender stretch, that could have been the winner. So I think it, it was, it was, it's always heartbreaking to concede a late goal that changes the outcome of a game. But actually, I think far more so when 
it was a draw, it was a draw, and and we could have made it a win, and and then and then it was literally what not sixty seconds later they were at the other end and scored. So yeah, no denying it was a very very tough day. You know, gutting last gutting hour or so after after coming out the ground and getting on the bus home. But um, again, a real lot of positives to take from it. I think we were the better team over the ninety minutes. Um, I know the XG stats show uh, Birmingham coming out as having a higher XG, which a lot of their fans are pointing to in the post-match discourse. But I feel that doesn't really account for the fact that their first goal um, shouldn't have been in the position to have that shot because I think it was a foul. I think as will maybe come on to it. Sam, are you saying, sorry, just to be very clear, are you saying that XG is a partial and limited statistic? Because that would be a new opinion for you. I, well, I, I don't think it's a new opinion for me, but I think I think we deserve a champions last season. But yes, um, I think XD is a is a limited statistic in some in some ways, and I think the fact that one of their first goal, which no doubt had a very high XD, came from what should have been disallowed, which will maybe come on to in in ref watch. And I think we had a lot of moments whereby we were in very good positions and didn't quite get the shot off at the opportune time, which would have made the XD perhaps appear artificially lower than our then our actual movement and chance creation could have indicated. So we had a lot of chances. We had the Hardy one-on-one first half. We had the Whitaker sort of half volley that would have put us one up very early on. We had the Mumba sort of glancing header across goal. We had obviously the goal itself. We had the, the header off the line late on. I think there's one or two big ones I might be forgetting. Uh, well, Whitaker hit the hit the woodwork from range, but that was um. You know, it was always a bit of a speculative shot, and that was actually when I was down. Um, not not yet back up for my my halftime pint. Anyway, uh, I, I'm very much digressing with that. The point is, we had a lot. We had a lot of chances, and we really, really could have at least drawn the game. And I would even venture as far as to say we probably should have actually won the game. Absolutely heartbreaking, yeah, to see Jay Stansfield. But what a fantastic finish it was from him. Give credit to him where it's due. Perfectly, you know, completely beat Gibson to the ball. Um, turned, I think, with Scar, I think it was as well. And um, Hazard, in fairness to him, does come out and make himself big. But Stansfield is completely calm and collected and just rifles the ball in, um, finds the perfect angle. Uh, and and then, and then there, there it was, that was full-time. So, yeah, gutting, but a lot of positives to take from it. And I think you play that game eight or nine times over, we maybe, you know, draw about four of them, win about four of them, and maybe lose one, if that. Go on then, John. Anything to add? I sort of mostly agree with with what Sam said, which makes a change. But it was really, I felt really deflated yesterday, and I still do a little bit. Um, and I think that's down to, you know, I think as we've as 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 has been said previously on this pod, it's been kind of walking on air recently. Being an Argyle fan, right, ever since the back end of last season, when we not only went up but won the league and had that amazing day at Port Vale, and then over the summer, you know, having. An exciting transfer window with Mumba and Whisker coming in. And then, you know, that, that sort of cloud nine feeling really lasted, I think, through the first three weeks of the new season. I think even though we lost to Southampton, the dominant emotion coming out of that one was, you know, we played really, really well here against the side who clearly are a lot better than us on paper and, uh, you know, stacked with Premier League bound talent. And then so yesterday, yeah, I guess for me sort of felt like the first real punch in the gut that we've had in in probably since Wembley, to be honest. I think it was, you know, a football cliche alert, a game of two halves a little bit. Um, I remember coming in at halftime and seeing Sam and him saying to me that was a really good, positive half and we played really well. And I didn't actually quite agree with that. I think, um, you know, they obviously got that goal to go ahead, which I think I think was a blatant foul. Sam will come on to that uh, during his uh, Joe Bell substituted ref watch rant, so I won't uh, 
steal his thunder too much there, but I think it's it's a clear foul. Should not have been allowed. But once Birmingham got that goal, I felt they sort of did a job on us. You know, they they absorbed pressure. Um, I don't recall us creating too many clear-cut chances in that first half. One for Ryan Hardy, where he's clean through. I think it's a much more difficult chance than people are than people are saying he absolutely has to score that and maybe taking into account, um, albeit a bit of a, you know, would have liked him to at least have done something other than just dolly the ball into the goalkeeper's hands. Um, but yeah, second half, though, I felt was a different story. I felt second half, we were excellent. Um, I think the first half was fairly even, probably, between the teams. Second half, we caught, we took the game to them, caused them a lot of problems. Um, it's got a great goal. You know, it's... um. Once again, a great data point for for those saying that Ryan Hardy was, you know, always likely to make a, a good transition to this league. Keeper should probably do a bit better than pat out a relatively tame shot straight into his path. Probably could have beaten it away to one of the sides, but it's a great finish from Hardy under under pressure from a couple of defenders. And after that, I felt there was only one team that was going to win the game, and I thought that was going to be us. Um, and so, um, you know, as a, you know, in contrast to the Southampton game where. While I did feel we were excellent, I was sort of sitting there saying to, to Danielle, sat next to me for the last 15 minutes, you know, I can see us just conceding here. It seems like maybe a goal against us is coming. We'll be lucky to sort of ride this out and get a point. I really, there was no point at which I felt we were going to lose. Felt like we were sort of oscillating between riding it out very professionally for a draw and then, you know, maybe even tipping forward in search for a win. I don't think that one that was cleared off the line from... I think Houghton was a particularly strong effort. I mean, if you had gone in, you'd be very disappointed in your defender. It's not a not necessarily a great, great chance, but it's obviously getting the ball in a good area. And then, yeah, it's just an absolute sucker punch to concede that goal. You can maybe say there's a, a sort of error in there, possibly defensively. I think it's more one where you probably have to give Jay Stansfield real credit for the composure and the touch and the, the finish. I guess inevitable that he would shuffle around Lewis Gibson after the rapturous tones in which Joe Bell spoke about him on this pod last week. Um, although I don't I think it would be very harsh to make a case that that was Gibson's fault. Like and, and yeah, a complete punch in the gut um and completely undeserved. I mean, coming away from from the game, spoke to a number of Birmingham fans outside the ground and to a to an individual they were saying, you know, you you guys were really really unlucky today. Some of them even said we deserve to win it, others saying that a draw would have been a fair result. I think that's from what I've seen of Birmingham discourse online. That's what, you know, most of that has also echoed that that I've seen. A couple of Sam notes have pointed to the XG I would point probably, you know, to other stats from yesterday, possession, we had two thirds of it away from home when we're not really set up to be a possession heavy side, particularly. I think that is, you know, a testament to just how dominant we were and how much we controlled the game, especially in the second half. But to sort of to echo, I guess, Stephen Schumacher a little bit in his post-match interview, um, I, I have no interest in coming away from grounds every week, being patronised by by championship fans saying, oh, you know, you guys will be fine. You're the best we've played, whatever. If it doesn't come with results, I just don't have any interest in that. It doesn't make it any better. You know, we are, I don't want to catastrophize, of course, or, or panic because it's only four games, but sort of felt sitting here last week that four points from three games looks kind of disproportionately a lot better than four points from four games at this stage of the season. You know, the first is, is a pretty good return. The second is, you know, below, below or kind of at realistically what you need to be on the right side of the survival line. So, yeah. Again, I think Birmingham will probably be, I don't think they'll be up there this season in terms of an automatic promotion push, but I had them solidly mid-table in, in my preseason predictions. I think they look a lot better than they have done in previous years. As we mentioned in our preview of the game last week, you know, there's a positive vibe around the club with, with new investment and some really good signings. Stansfield hadn't even come in at that point, um, but he would certainly constitute another one who's a really impressive addition. Yeah, it's a tough game, and I think we have had a, a tougher start on paper than than, you know, some of the other clubs in this division, but to lose twice in a row in those circumstances probably does just suggest a degree of naivety. 
um, suggests that, you know, something we all should have known anyway, which is that at this level, if you make mistakes and you give up chances, you're going to get punished uh, more often than not. Teams here are going to be a lot more ruthless than the average League One side. These are lessons that we've got to learn. But yeah, but I think it was, you know, it's it's heartening to hear Shuey and, and the players come out and not say, we're just happy to be here. We're making up the numbers. What a lovely performance. You know, let's go again. That's, they, they were clearly very annoyed about it. Um, and just as a final note, you know, if we were if we were discussing last week on the pod, we discussed the kind of reaction after the Southampton game. It seemed like kind of cup final proportions of collapsing to the field in sort of desperate exhaustion. And I was sort of suggesting that that was a bit of a weird reaction when it's a 46 game season. Further reaction yesterday, they were clearly livid with themselves, but also, you know, just with the way fate transpired. And I like to see that. Some of them clearly couldn't get down the tunnel quickly enough. They looked absolutely seething. And I think that that indicates to me that that's a group who will go in there and be really pissed off about that and, and want to put it right. Yeah, you mentioned the online discourse, as is becoming customary on this pod. Uh, ask for full-time thought. You, uh, Blues, said, let's be honest here, Plymouth have arguably been the best side we've played so far this season. Uh, gave us a good game, lucky break at the end. Uh, we had to put it to bed. Uh, Alberto says, totally undeserved, but it's been two weeks in a row now. It's concerning. Plymouth Argyle FC France edition uh, says, not bad, but we need to be more focused in additional time. Birmingham Forward said, you bought it on yourselves. You've been in League One and below for God knows how many years, and we've been in the Premier League in Europe and winning trophies. I'm not really sure that's got anything to do with it. Great. Well, congr- congratulations. congratulations to you. Yep. Isn't that good? Um, Jazzy B says, I hate to say it, but injury time defeats are a bit relegatey. That said, we've mostly played better sides so far. The Blackburn game is now huge. Uh, Argyle Naif, who um, got the brunt of uh, a lot of Birmingham fans in the reply, said uh, we, have, we were the better team and we should have won. Brum defended on the edge of their box and played on the counter. Such a boring style to watch. But hey, it worked. Um, Mark said, best team we've had down St Andrews this season. Could go on, there's quite a few along those same sort of lines. McEwen Rice says we, we played superb, but you have to question Whitaker's decision to try and ping in a long switch with 20 seconds to go. I'm sure we'll we'll get onto that later on. And John Big said we were superb. That is so deflating and it was so undeserved. I cannot believe we've lost that. So let's get through it in chronological order, as I like to do. Starting 11, Randall in for Cundall. Did his reintroduction change things, Sam? I think he had a pretty poor first 20 minutes and gave the ball away quite a bit, Randall. After that, much better. Um, def- definitely good thereafter. Um, yeah, just just did what he does. Just picks the ball up, always looks to you know, have a lot of time. He's very spatially aware if anybody's pressing and he doesn't get flustered by that. He, he finds the pass and often he'll try the spectacular and it won't quite work out. And I could add sort of did happen quite a bit in the first 20 minutes. But yeah, by and large, I think he was a he was a net positive. Um he, he was involved in our sort of really good high pressure spell at the start of the second half before one one. Um just always just moving the ball along quickly and effectively. Cundall um him, himself kind of tried to do that in the Southampton game and I think in, in some ways did it okay. But I think his um final ball and his general uh taking care of the ball was a bit worse than Randall's. But I think it's worth recognising it to give credit to both Randall and to Cundall last week that uh, we, we play a sort of a high percentage game with our attacking passes. We don't just like to go for the simple ball. You know, we're, we're, we're possession-orientated, but we're not um, We're not tikka-taka. We're not ultimately, you know, we're not mega possession-orientated at the expense of taking risks. We do take a risky pass when, when we need to, and along with that continue. So 
yeah, that was um was good from Randall. I think he's um still in our best eleven, in my opinion. I think you, you could argue that maybe Cumberland and Vance know that sort of role of the of the advancing number eight, the free eight, as, as, as they call it, maybe a little bit better than Randall, who's more of a deep player by trade. But I just really rate him. I always have done. I really rate the composure he brings to the team. So, yeah, definitely a net positive. Um, and I think in our best team. Yeah, Birmingham went 1-0 up in eight minutes as Scott Hogan slid home. I feel uh, a lot will be said about the officials later on, so let's not go through that just yet. But bar the foul in the build-up, John, how do we how do we cut that out? And how uncharacteristically bad was the defending for that one? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, and I think Shuri sort of alluded to it in his interview where while it is a foul, you probably have to ask Dan Scar to be stronger there, right? Like... I, from, from where I was um, stood, which was right pitch side, pretty close to that incident, it looked to me like a very clear shove in the back. I think the footage I've seen is kind of a little bit more zoomed out, and so it's a bit inconclusive to say, you know, for definite. But my my reaction at the time and, and that of the players was it was a very clear foul. But, you know, Dan Scar is, is a bloody big bloke, and Scott Hogan is, let's say, not. So, you know, I think that, I think that it's just a bit of naivety to kind of allow yourself to be fouled in that sort of um, position. And if it's kind of the opposite where he's felt, you know, I'm sort of going to go down maybe a little bit softly because it's a, you know, because it should be a free kick, but I need to go over to convince the ref of that. Obviously that hasn't worked and and he's out of position then for what is a pretty rapier-like kind of, you know, in behind, slide the ball across, slide it in. That's that's clearly the key moment of that of that attack. Um, otherwise I think it's a pretty well executed goal from, from Birmingham. So don't want to take away from the fact it was a foul, but, May, you know, I think there were a number of incidents I noticed in the game yesterday, but also that I've noticed in games kind of going around since this kind of change in refereeing standards that we've seen over the summer, where I think things that uh, could possibly be classed as a bit borderline are tending to not get given us fouls. And so I think we need to wise up a little bit on that because we do have a tendency, I've noticed in our early games, to have players go over, you know, to kind of win free kicks when they're getting boxed in or, or finding themselves under a bit of pressure. And often they are actually fouled. So I don't want to, I'm not saying it's simulation or anything, but, you know, if we're not reliably going to get those, then you can get picked off from those moments very, very easily. So maybe we need to be a bit a bit more intelligent about that. I would like to just add one other point to that. And I, I, I don't disagree with what John said, but the other one I would say about defending, and incidentally, I've seen a lot of comments saying our defending for the second goal was was really awful and I don't really think it was. I think our defending for the second goal wasn't too bad. We'll maybe come on to that in a minute. But um, I think our defending for the first goal was the most criminal of the two because not only do we have what John said about, about Scar, I, I think you've got to as well, given, how, you know, ask a little bit of question of Gibson and Kessler Hayden in the sense of play to the whistle because I've watched the replay back in anticipation for the podcast and you can see when Scar goes down, Gibson and, and Kessler Hayden are both, really focused on appealing to the referee for the foul. And and unfortunately, I think that just cost them that half a second to a second of putting them out of position to be able to then come back and defend. I mean, I'll come back and defend. I mean, I'm just literally watching it again now to to, to, to back up my own point. And I think the problem is as well, is it then limits for Gibson particularly the options of where he can go. Because I think then, because he he's then lost himself about half a second to a second by appealing he then cannot really drop in and, and prevent the ball across the six-yard box like he maybe could have done if he got back quicker. And look, after Scar went down, we were they were four on three. So they were always going to be be kind of favourites in that situation of being four on three. But I just think that, that the threat was was more from Hogan coming in. I think because Gibson's gone across to, to his right, Birmingham's left, to 
protect the run of Anderson, that's then that's then resulted in in Kesler Hayden being being two on one. I think then Kesler Hayden himself doesn't really get back quite quite as quickly as he should do either. So I think they just need to both need to wise up a bit again. I, I, you know, Gibson has I've been absolutely fantastic up to now, so I don't want to give him too much of a rollicking for it. But um, you've got to play to the whistle. I, I've never played football to any reasonable standard and made that quite clear. But I know the one thing you're always told as a kid is it's played to the whistle, and they didn't do that. Having played football with Sam, I can confirm that this is yes, <laughs> but, yeah, it's very, very good. But look, even if they had have played to the whistle perfectly, we still made it because ultimately four against three is, you know, it, it's not a good matchup, but. They would have, I think he could have just given himself a better chance of dropping to protect the far post if he hadn't wasted so much time complaining to the referee. Yeah, rushing the chronological order along a bit then, because obviously we've, I've got quite a few Twitter questions that I really want to get through tonight. Moving from the eighth minute to the 60th minute, obviously Ryan Hardy putting us level. Do you want to run us through that one, Sam? It was just a you know, well, 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 you know what, it was, it was typically. Composed of Hardy when he gets into those situations. I'm, I'm, I'm almost saying it was a typical Hardy goal. And actually, I, I stopped myself from saying that because I don't think it was a typical Hardy goal. But a typical Hardy goal is one where he has that kind of um, rangy run in behind in behind the keeper. But um, and, and often with Hardy, you feel he's got about five seconds where you don't really know what he's going to do when 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 he, when he then goes to to put it in there. Obviously, it's very different than it came to him in that sort of snapshot uh, situation. Um, I can't remember who it was who had the shot that the keeper parried away. Was it was it Edlash? With Whitaker, it forced the Hardy and 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 just um yeah just quickly just very quickly puts it into the net um so I think it's interesting because Hardy as with the as with the Southampton goal last week which just sort of rapidly came to him across the box he stuck a foot out and puts it in the corner he almost seems like better in those situations where he doesn't have that time to think when he's acting on pure instinct because often when when he has time to think you see him sort of almost like in the one on one in the first half you see him kind of overthink it and hesitate a bit. Um, but the, the, the two goals where he's just had to stick a foot in it without much time to think, when he's acting on pure striker's instinct, he's done so brilliantly. And hey, he's our top scorer with three goals in, in four league games. So you can't really criticise him for that. So yeah, um, it, it, it was just a combination of our good attacking play, lots of lots of good build-up, lots of good football, with a good shot, which the keeper parries away. And Hardy just, yeah, pouncing the rebound and tucks it in. So yeah, good bit of all-round play for the equaliser. Yeah, John, you mentioned in your um, review of the game about Hardy's miss, so I don't think we need to go over that again. But apart from Hardy, who maybe um, positionally, uh, unless you bring in Wayne, I suppose, um, is Jordan Houghton the most undroppable player in the squad at the moment? Another game where he's looked absolutely excellent. Uh, no, I wouldn't say he's the most undroppable player, I would probably say that's Mumba or, or Whitaker. But yeah, no, I, the, the sort of spirit of your question, I completely agree. He has been outstanding in these early weeks of the season. He was my man of the match on Saturday, and apparently I rated him one mark too low, according to one of our Twitter interlocutors, although he did say that. Not just him, everyone. Right, every player on the team sheet. I think, sorry, can I very quickly interrupt you? I think that on the entire TalkSport fan network, I'm sure that must be the first time the word interlocutor has been used. I think that must be a rarity on the on the podcast <laughs> network. But, but do carry on. Slander of the TalkSport network, of which we are very, very grateful to be members. Thank you very much to our TalkSport overlords. <laughs> the uh, But no, he, he was he was terrific on, on Saturday. And um, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast, I don't know if there's uh, audio proof of me saying this in other words, but I certainly, Sam will attest, have said it privately, is that I've not always been the biggest 
Jordan Houghton fan, I think it's fair to say. But I did, I said over the summer, I just sort of wonder, based on particularly that game at Chelsea in the FA Cup, I think I think we did discuss this on the pod, whether playing at a higher level with sort of better players around him would bring out something more in his game than playing in League One. And I sort of also noticed that, you know, that he t- he's tended to be better in League One against better teams than sometimes the the worst teams where when it's a bit more of a midfield battle, I sometimes felt he was sort of boxed out a bit more. But he's obviously a player who's got a lot of technical ability. And I think that playing at a level where that is perhaps more rewarded or there's a more consistent level of technical ability going around. I just sort of wondered if it might it might suit his game. And I have to say the evidence so far, again, on a fairly small sample size of only four games, is that that is the case. Um, and Saturday, you know, the way he played that kind of pivot role in midfield, both in his own half, but then also really kind of getting us forward and up the pitch and using the ball really, really well, um, crisply, cleanly, quickly. Um, I think I think would attest would attest to that. So yeah, he's not someone, if I'm being entirely honest, who if you'd, you know, given me license to draft my ideal first team at the beginning of the season, I'm not sure his name definitely would have been on the team sheet. I certainly was at one point a little bit concerned about going into the season without having signed the kind of Jay Matete style midfield enforcer um and i will you know reserve the right to return to those views um based on the inconsistency of some of Houghton's performances for us in the past but if this is the level he's going to be playing at then absolutely completely there on on merit in the first team and is going to be a really really important player for us he has looked yeah fantastic so far and i think particularly um uh, particularly yesterday Moving on to the, the winning goal then. Firstly, we need to congratulate Exeter City on scoring their first ever championship goal uh, coming in the, fi- the 95th <laughs> minute, a, a second week in a row that we've lost to a killer blow right at the end. Um, Sam, does any of the fault fall to Morgan Whitaker or Lewis Gibson? I know that John said in his intro it doesn't. But... Um, I think when people discuss football, they often confuse the words should have with could have. Um, because, yes, if you had a level of World Cup class players out there, would we have conceded that goal? Probably not. Um, but on the standards of, of championship football, which is where we are, um, sometimes you have to accept that the opposition has just done very well. And I think that was actually what happened. So, so, we, so sorry, why, why why would the blame be on with it? Was it him who lost the challenge that it then got put through the standstill, was it? Or... Uh, absolutely, was, man. Was, you, yeah. you attended. You attended the game, right, Sam? You don't appear to have been it, watching. It was. It, his uh, it, it was. <laughs> it was down. It was down the other end. The precipitate. The precipitating incident, which is what you're being asked about, was not at the other end. Uh, no, yeah, but you can't blame someone for putting the ball in the box. For, you know, you, there's plenty more. Okay, I, I I understand the premise of the question. I was reading before, but no. I don't think you can really blame someone for, for putting a ball into the box that wasn't quite perfect today and conceding a goal because there's so many things that happen at that point. It gets put through, you know, Scar heads it away and then someone loses the challenge, which I can't remember who. I, I thought that was Whitaker, which is why you're asking, but obviously it must have been somebody else. So, I mean, the ball gets not put through. Scar gets in there with a header and then Scar again gets a bit out of position, just sort of, uh, you know, stumbling forward after the header. Then somebody loses the, loses the challenge, which I don't quite immediately remember who. And then, and then it goes through to Stansfield, who at that point again, um, we, we have three we have three there who are kind of near, near to Stansfield, Houghton, Tesla Hayden, and um, um, Gibson. And then Edwards is dropping a little bit off. Um, they're all playing a very high line, which again, I don't want to be too wise after the event because I was very much saying, you know, come on, let's go for the win. Let's not sit back. Let, let's, let's try and get one more attack in. Maybe if we weren't playing such a high line, 
would they have got in? Would they have got goal side? Maybe they would have. Yeah, but they didn't. And and that's you know you, you take you take the rough of the smooth playing that kind of attacking football. It's like Schumacher said, we're not gonna suddenly change our philosophy entirely because we got stung a couple of times. So yeah, we have that we have that block of three of of Kedler, Hayden, Houghton, and, and Gibson who are all fairly high. Could they have got dropped a bit deeper and got goal side? Maybe, but you know, not not it's it's it happens. Then Gibson is the one who does get back and he just gets twisted and turned a bit. And I think people are being too critical of that ultimately. They're kind of forgetting that from the high line position you start from Gibson's starting position, I think he does well to even get back in a position where he's able to compete with Stansfield. And the fact that Stansfield is a very talented attacking player then manages to take it round him is it's no shame. Edwards kind of tries to get in with a sliding tackle and, and has like if they come back makes stuff big and, and and that's the goal. But so I think yeah, look, there's, there's three points really. The first point is Whitaker putting the ball in the box you mentioned. I think that's a, a nothing key issue really because ultimately you know, you can't reasonably expect there's so many, you know, moves between that and the goal. You can't reasonably say that's to blame. There's the there's the bit where Scar, um, like I say, heads it out and then and then there's the little and then there's the challenge which then leads to the ball being put through the standstill. Uh and, and and then there's the actual finish itself. I think if 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 anything is possibly to blame, it's 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 maybe the second thing there. It's maybe the motion whereby um Scar heads the ball, heads the ball clear. And then, um, obviously, nobody really picks up the man who then threads the ball through. I don't think it's a terribly defended goal. I don't think you look at that and think, oh, that's just a shockingly defended goal. We need to work on that on the training field. Brad, the first goal, I'm maybe not quite thinking that, but I'm I'm thinking more along those lines, let's say. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's tough, but it happens. On, just a quick, quickly on the Whitaker point, I think if you're 1-0 up in that situation, you absolutely can, ex- you know, away from home, it is unforgivably naive to try and put a ball into the box that the keeper then takes by remembering what happened correctly. Um, you know, I think then you you pass it backwards, you run to the corner, unless you've got a really clear-cut goal-scoring opportunity to double the lead. I think at 1-1, though, I agree with Sam, you know, and, and, and Shuri, I think we, we we could have won that game yesterday. And uh, while I did mock Sam a little bit in a group chat for saying this the other day, ultimately, you know, three points is a hell of a lot better than one. Um, uh, and we're going to need some of those some of those maximums between now and the end of the season. If there was an opportunity to to not concede that goal, it came in the more defensive aspect of the phase. Um, albeit, I ultimately agree with Sam. I think, which is just that it was an outstanding moment of individual quality. I don't, I don't think that's where the game has been lost, even if it was on paper the decisive moment. But yeah, I, I think I think it was tactical. I think Tumaka was saying to him go for the win. I think he, he, you know, and he, he even admitted that in in the in the post match interview, the throw in that led to the Whitaker cross was was right where right where he was, wasn't it? And um. And, and and he 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 said he he was saying to you know to go for it and go for the win. So I absolutely think that um think that you can't blame Whitaker at all. You, even if you blame that incident, um you 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 just blame the fact that Schumacher instructed him to do an incident. But like but like you know for the reason I said I don't even think you blame I don't even think you blame that. I think you literally just write it off and one of those things. The only point where there's a bit of slight blame, like I say, is that nobody really picks up the man who puts the assist to Samsung, which I would now like to correctly name, which I forgot earlier, as Lukas Stukovic, the uh, the uh, former loanee we had in the Port Zurich era. Nobody oh, no, really picked him. Yes, nobody really picked him up. I think maybe Butcher and Mumba are the two that are closest to him that could have done. So if you want to put a little bit of blame on them, I could go with that. But again, not not critically so. And I think I've probably worn that topic to death now. So I'll, let, I'll go back to yeah, just before we jump into ref watch, uh, John, we praised this side so many times last season for going to the fifty, the fifty, the ninety fifth, ninety sixth, ninety seventh minute last season. 
Um, what do we need to do to step it up another gear this season to be able to see out 100 plus minutes? Um, not a fitness and conditioning expert. And, and to be honest, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know if I have an answer to that question. It isn't just kind of continue to do what we did last season. Like I don't, I don't think losing the game yesterday was a, a fitness issue at all. I think it was just unlucky, really. Again, a game that in stoppage time could have gone either way. I think the Southampton game, you could look at that more as saying that was clearly one where we where we tired and, and maybe our substitutions weren't the best. But yeah, you are going to get tired against a team that have incredible Premier League quality players and, and sort of pass the ball so much that you you know you have to chase them around. So so yeah, compared to the Southampton game, I may have said yesterday, let's try and have something more in the tank going into stoppage time. But and I think we did. I don't, I don't think we've conceded a goal because we're out on our feet or because we haven't haven't been able to go the the entire dis- distance. Like I don't think having conceded those two goals. In, in, in sort of equivalent minutes in these, yeah, as you mentioned, longer games now because of the amount of extra time that's getting added on. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can say that that points to a trend from what I've observed of, you know, us being out on our feet after 85 minutes doing poor game management. I think that was that was the case once, but in a game where you would maybe expect that because of the quality of opposition, and it wasn't the case yesterday. Look, if this becomes a habit, then yeah, obviously there is going to be a problem. I think if there's any trend it indicates it's probably just in needing to have seen games out and been more ruthless with our chances and our moments um so we're not in that position where we're vulnerable to that kind of late strike um Huddersfield game was a good example of that right where we sort of scored that second goal out of nothing and then immediately went on to um you know put the game to bed within five minutes whereas if we hadn't done that you could imagine a world in which Huddersfield would have kind of got back on the front foot you know really made it difficult for us and um, and, and you know maybe pushed us into extra time there. As it was, we killed that game off. So I think that's what we that's what we ultimately need to be doing. But I don't think this reflects a kind of fitness conditioning issue. Um, at least at least not yet. Yeah, I agree. Sam, as Joe's not here, do you fancy filling in on uh, ref watch? Before you do, uh, a quick note from Andros who said, "Not even a knee jerk reaction from myself as I've now slept on it." That was one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen in a long time watching Argyle. Yeah, I, I, I my, my heart sunk a little bit when I saw that it was supposed to be refereeing. I, I try not to blame referees too much, um, really. Um, not, not, not that I think it, Joe. I try not to blame referees too much because they have a very difficult game and they have to see it all in real time, often from a tricky angle. Yeah, I try not to make the game too much about the referee because ultimately I think refereeing discourse can get a bit overdone, but I, I might, yeah, like I say, when I thought with John Busby, I kind of, oh no, because he's refereed us several times over the years, and every time he's, he's one of those minority of refs, and I will impress, based on what I've said, it is a minority, he kind of always likes to make himself the star of the show a little bit, he, he makes very erratic decisions, he, he will often be too whistle happy at times, I mean, bizarrely, I think yesterday was the opposite of that, I think that was, he kind of went away from his normal trend, I think he was actually not whistle happy enough, he let an awful lot of fouls go, and I think Birmingham were a bit over physical at times. I'm not going to say they were, a, they were, they were a dirty team as such because I think, off, I think they were, they, they were, they were over enthusiastic challenges rather than malicious ones. I don't really think it was games and shit, but I think he let them get away with a bit too much. And I think he was possibly a bit of a homer ref in the sense that I think he he, he penalised us a little bit when we, you know, for for borderline fifty fifties. And I I just felt he he, he gave a lot their way that, that he shouldn't have and, and let go a lot of the kind of heavier challenges they did commit. Like, like indeed to the first goal. Like, I mean, look, I think I, I don't really agree with John's point that Scar shouldn't have let himself get fouled in the sense that I think, yes, of course, he's a much bigger bloke than, than Hogan is, but 
you know, if if if, if you use your bodily force to, to really jump on someone and, and and bring them, you know, bring them down like that, then pure size doesn't matter because you're you're using levels of force that the laws of the game don't permit. So I think it's a clear, clear foul. I don't really know what he's thinking, to be honest. I've, I've seen it a few times. It's not one of those for life. I can think, mm, yeah, it can go either way. I think he's just pole actually, hasn't he? Um, I just don't, I, it's just a clear foul. Um, I don't know why, why on earth he's not given it. So we've got very unlucky there, which left us four on three, as I alluded to earlier. When you're four on three and the ball's coming across the box, it's it's it spells trouble and, and it did spell trouble. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not happy with, with, with his performance. But I, I'm, I'm not really happy every time I see that John Busby's refereeing us, to be honest. So hopefully he won't have us too many more times this season. All right, Joe will be out of a job. Sam repeats that. Anything to add, John? <laughs> I did say I don't want to criticise refs too much, and I said all that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think he, I think he deserved it. Uh, that it was a very poor refereeing performance. Um, obviously, that one decision, which was hugely significant, um, given that it came in the eighth minute, and I think completely changed the complexion of the game. And then, yeah, just was very inconsistent. I felt for the rest of the game. You know, there were it was very hard to determine what constituted a yellow card offence in that referee's view, um, because he, he you know booked a few that seemed a few sorry that seemed a bit overzealous and then didn't book uh, a couple including Kessler Hayden I think actually for fouls that I thought were pretty cynical so yeah I guess it kind of cut both ways a little bit on on that but yeah really really disappointing um and this was kind of after actually in our first couple of games certainly the Huddersfield game I went to I seem to recall actually being fairly impressed by the quality of officiating in that game you know you would sort of hope that it would be a higher standard that's level than than maybe we've gotten accustomed to in recent years so yeah i basically agree i felt he was um he was poor um although i don't want to sit here and say you know necessarily we lost because of the referee obviously there's a lot more to it than that but it's certainly yeah that that early decision if it had been a foul um that had gone as a foul then game could have gone a very different way nice should we call that a break Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But yeah, so now we're going to do a bit of magic editing where Sam has just finished Ref Watch and we're going to move on to the Twitter questions. Moving on to some Twitter questions then. Uh, John, I think this one might be good for you. Argonne memes. Shall I give it to Sam whilst you eat your fab? No, you can give it to, give it to me. <laughs> I'll give it to you then, John. Argon Memes says, special things happen to our players when they wear bandages on their heads. Should Shuey send out 11 lads with bandages on their heads on Tuesday? I knew you'd enjoy that one. I don't, I don't know what exactly that's a, re- a reference to, apart from Houghton being... Houghton, Houghton being brilliant. Before that. He's happily he supplied a photo of Ryan Hardy in a green headband. Um, I assume true. that's the two-two draw away at Portsmouth. Did he yeah. get both that day? He definitely got one. Sam, um, he did. Right, he did. Yep. 
Brilliant. Yeah, he did. And I remember Dan Scar wearing a headband at some point, but I couldn't tell you in what. Well, hang, hang on, hang on. You say the two two draw away at Pompey, like there's like there's a great many of them. <laughs> in the if it's if it's the one on the in the twenty one twenty two season when he scored past Basley, yes, he got both. If it's the one he's, on the last he's, season, he's wearing then, the he's wearing the home shirt from the twenty one twenty. Uh, yeah. It will be that one then. Yeah, yeah. the last season was a, a Sean Raggettone goal, and I believe the the game with the headband was Raggett shoving Hardy into the advertising hoarding. Oh, of course. Or without without wishing to get sued, a collision involving Ryan Hardy and the advertising hoarding in which Sean Raggett was in the vicinity. <laughs> to answer the question, um, I, th- I feel like that's more of a comment than a question, so I don't know if it necessarily needs an answer. But yeah, maybe a team of uh, Terry Butchers would be uh, would be welcome if things um, you know deteriorate and we need to fight for every point to survive. Brilliant. I just really enjoyed that question, so I wanted to ask it. Um, Sam, regular contributor Jack Leslie asks, should we seriously consider bringing in a set-piece coach? Everything at the club is top draw from top to bottom, but our deliveries are consistently poor. The stats back this up, so as a data-driven club, this must be a concern. First question that I ask is, do the stats back this up? Because I think we actually scored quite a few directly from corners last season, didn't we? I think it was like four or five, and I th- when you factor in over a season... How many teams, how many goals he scored in corners? Well, I think there is a. I will be absolutely mind blown if it's four or five. It was like a run. It was like a running joke that we hadn't scored from a corner until February or something. Well, when there was the there was the one from um, Dan Starr at home to Wickham. Yeah. There was the one from Gillespie at home to Bristol Rovers. That was a free kick. And away at Peterborough. So away that's, at that's, Peterborough. Not, that's not a corner, that's, famously. Well, that's, well, we'll set people, well, to be fair, the question wording was set pieces. So, okay. So, in terms of like, so you set piece crossed into the box, that's three. Peterborough one. James Bolton against Forest Green. A couple of others. Yes, I think that was one. So, that's four. And James Wilson against, I think Wilson scored at home to MK in the 3 2 over Christmas. I believe that was from a free kick, but I could be wrong. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, look, I think. I think I do honestly. It's not actually a question that I've done the statistical research enough to be confident in my answer. So if, if it turns out that Jack is right and we actually do have a disproportionately low amount of goals from attacking set pieces, then I will take my hat off and apologise. But actually, I think it's a bit of a thing in football that most fans do generally think of their own team. We're really rubbish at corners. Um, is there a possibility that we actually are rubbish at corners and we're worse than the average? I'm not prepared to rule that out, but I need to look at the stats. I think actually, when you consider that, so if we're saying Scarborough against Wickham, Wilson against MK, James Bolton against Forest Green, Gillespie at Peterborough, Gillespie at home to Rovers, that's five. I, I feel there may even be one up, but I'm not immediately remembering. I feel five goals for attacking set pieces is not a, a bad amount to have um, over a season. Like not that many goals, full stop, do come from attacking set pieces at all. So, Maybe what one could say, given my comment about it being a running joke, we didn't score from a corner until like February, which I think actually, you know, specifically from corners might be true. Or maybe it was like one because I think. Well, no, because the, the, the star one was a corner, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe one. But but I, I definitely, we definitely seemed to score more as the season went on. Right. I think that that would be true. So maybe there is an issue of, of you know, last season we did actually work on them over the course of the season and they got better maybe, or maybe it's just a kind of statistical variance thing. Yeah, yeah, poss- poss- possibly. It could, could well be either of those. But, but even if I can just, sorry, if I can come back to my slightly convoluted answer to that question, I would say at the minute I don't think we do, but I'd have a look at it and if the stats backed it up, I wouldn't, it's not something I'd rule out on any kind of principle, but I don't think we leave it at the moment. 
Okay. John Lee Smith says, we the we don't look out of place narrative is fine, but isn't going to get us points. Two last minute defeats is gut wrenching. We are good, but not good enough. Or are we just acclimatising and the results will start to follow? Hope the second. I mean, yeah. Sam will attest I had a bit of a rant when I got home last night after a very long day, feeling very deflated along similar lines to this, which I don't think I stand by. So I'm not going to sort of reiterate that as my opinion here necessarily. But, you know, yeah, I don't think that we should take anything for granted. Certainly, like I don't think because we've played so well in these first four games that, you know, that therefore it's impossible that we're going to go down and that, you know, other teams look worse than us. So we can't get sucked in um obviously it's just very early days so it's always very hard to to sort of predict based on early performances what's going to happen at this point last season we had six points i believe from four games which is not much better than what we've got at the moment um and and that you know featured an absolute thumping at, at charlton as well so you wouldn't have said after that probably that we would go on to get 101 points over the course of the season necessarily so so you know and, and the opposite can be true right we can we can have four points from the first two games look really comfortable I think what I think what these first four games have offered is is a glimpse that like the potential we have this season is to be completely fine and to not really be in the relegation scrap at all, to not be in that conversation at all, um, and just to kind of get get the survival number of points done relatively early and then see you know maybe even maybe even an outside playoff push possibly after that if the league is as tight as it was last season where you had every team down to about sixteenth in some kind of promotional playoff contention uh, until pretty late in the season. I think we've shown that that is our well, I don't, I don't want to say that's our ceiling. I think in theory, our ceiling could actually be, in, you know, proper, a proper playoff charge. But I think that that is a realistic upper, upper kind of end ambition for us. And I think what we have to do now is make sure that that's kind of where we're at and that we're not continually throwing away games in the 95th minute and, and losing out on points that can kind of build towards that, right? I think this squad is one that will perform better personally if there's not that kind of pressure because, you know, the more games you fail to get points in, Obviously, that puts more pressure on the other games. And, and I think that quite often the way you expect to win those games as a side fighting relegation is to sort of really grind them out. And I don't, and Shui has been very clear, that's not the way he wants to play. I don't think that's the way we're set up. I don't think we really have the personnel to be reliably doing that every week at this level. Um, I think Shui is, is enormously tactically flexible. And if it comes down to having to show that kind of rougher edge, we, we could, but it's not, you know, it's odds with a kind of footballing philosophy that I think is much more suited to playing kind of mid-table football at this level. But I think, yeah, I think we've shown, you know, you say bedding in in the question, I actually think we've shown that, like, we're not, I mean, you know, in terms of results, fine. Yeah, maybe we, we need to kind of get just a little bit more steel or a bit less naivety or whatever. But I think we've shown we're already that we're absolutely at home at this level. So, yeah, but 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 I think also at the same time, we need to not be, not be complacent about that and think that just because these performances have been really good that we can't, find ourselves in two or three games time, you know, in sitting in the bottom three with only four points still. I mean, that could absolutely happen. And then performances would, it's not they would count for nothing, but, you know, at that point, you're really thinking we need to get points on the board. It doesn't really matter how they come. Yeah, I think in terms of answering the question directly, both possibilities mentioned are live ones. I really hope it's the latter and that we're, we're you know, just for a combination of bad luck and difficult fixtures and, and a bit of naivety at this level, it's, these are the sort of results we're not going to keep having with this heartbreaking late defeat, but it could that could be the case. Uh, Sam, I'll give this next one to you from Rory Drake. He says, when the fixtures were released, September on paper at least looked fairly looked a fairly good opportunity to get some points on the board. Given the starts made by Blackburn, Preston, Norwich and Hull, 
should we now be more concerned that we're maybe playing teams at a bad time and might not pick up as many points as we first hoped? That is a good question. Um, I think the fixture list is important. Um, I don't, I've never really been one of those who just kind of said, oh, well, everyone plays everyone twice. It doesn't matter because, it is, you know, you, you, you can have good luck pay, playing teams when they're not a bad run. You can have bad luck playing teams when they're on a, they're on a good run. Um, and, and Sam, just quickly, I think we said this last season. I thought it was remarkable last season how every team we played seemed to be on a pretty good run of form when we played them, with, with yeah. exceptions, particularly towards the end of the season, which was helpful to us. But even kind of rubbish teams in League One last season, we just always seemed to play them at a time where they were either on or kind of getting started on a good little kick of form. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that just makes the, the um, 101 point total that we had all the more impressive. Um, to answer Rory's specific question, um, yeah, Blackburn I tipped to go down and they've made a strong start. Um, well, strongish start. Preston I tipped to be, be down there in the bottom third and they've made a very good start, regrettably, unfortunately to say. Bristol City, yeah, they, they've made an all right start as well, actually, haven't they? Kind of, they kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. They've actually made an okay start. Um, Norwich, I think I, I always expected to be up there. I, I know John didn't quite so much and Aaron didn't quite so much, but I expected Norwich to always, but that was always going to be a tough game. I had them fifth. And I got a lo- I got a load of stick for it because people were saying they were rubbish. Now I'm vindicated about this. Must have been Aaron then who didn't. My apologies. Um, Aaron, where do you live? Yeah, <laughs> and Hull. I um um they they kind of went into the season as a reputation of being a lot of people's dark horses. Um, didn't really see it, but with some of the signings they've made, Twine being the main one, and, and you know being linked with some good signings as well, potentially still the card before the end of the window. I think Hull are now the team who are far more likely to be troubling the top end than the bottom. So, yeah, I think there is something in that. But but equally, it is still only four games and the season does not start to take shape after four games. I think it starts to take shape after eight or nine, for sure. Um, but there's every chance that some of those teams, obviously not Blackburn because they're the next game, but there's every chance that a lot of the rest of those teams will be quite differently in the table placed before we next play them. Go on, John. Yeah, no, I was going to say... Um... Just have a have a stab at answering the question myself. My first instinct looking at the table at the, at the beginning of this season wasn't really to say, you know, this month looks particularly favourable or, or, you know, this month looks particularly difficult beyond sort of noting that the first few games looked looked tricky. I think my, my sort of initial reaction was to say actually that the entire season looks difficult. You know, every single week you're playing a team where you know that even if they're not one of the, the really tipped teams, um, there's a possibility they could hurt you. There's a possibility they can just have a really good day at the office. Um much less than in, in the sort of last couple of seasons in League One, where, you know, two seasons ago it was, oh, Christ, our run-in's really, really difficult looking. And last season it was, oh, Christ, our start to the season is really difficult looking. But then our run-in actually looks, you know, quite favourable on paper, which, well, we, we ended up winning pretty much all our games at both ends of the season. But um, it certainly was was the case that our run-in it ended up being a little more kind. I think it's way, way harder to make those sorts of judgments at this level, first, because it's a higher level for us. And therefore, obviously, you know, there's just a greater level of, of difficulty in the average game as a team coming into this league, I think. Um, i sure some Ipswich fans are furiously looking at pictures of Brandon Williams while I say that. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as a team coming into the league, you can expect some difficulty. Um, and also because it's such a tight league, right? I mean, again, I just mentioned it, but last season um, there was very, very little separating let's say like fifth and 17th in the championship. Now I think that that's probably an unusually 
you know, thin distribution of of points. It's probably not quite going to be that competitive again this season. But that you know, all of these sorts of teams, I think that we're playing, if unless I'm mistaken, that have just been mentioned are teams who were right in that kind of conversation. Right? It was sort of like being mentioned as outside playoff contenders until the very end, maybe Hull weren't. Um, and obviously Blackburn were, were sort of considered a team that really could get in the playoffs and, and just missed out. Preston and Bristol City, to a lesser extent, I think were still mathematically in, in with the shout with a few games to go. So for me, it's, it'll be sort of interesting to see, you know, it, for me, it seems like quite a consistent level of team. And, and I've actually not been, I don't. I wouldn't say I've necessarily changed my assessment of those particular teams too much since the opening of the season. I think the big the big one is Norwich, right? Because a lot of people had an expectation that Norwich would be really poor, um, name, naming no Norwich-based podcast hosts of, of Plymouth Argyle fan content. Uh, second tier pod, I think, had them down in 19th or something, which I thought was a really odd prediction. Yeah, that's a bit bad. But, but you know, yeah, Sam and I, I think both had them in the playoffs. And they look like they have actually a really good squad on paper, uh, very functional for this level. And obviously have been around the block in terms of knowing, you know, how to get out of this league. Yeah. So, so I'm not really surprised by them. And I think the rest are all sort of much for muchness for me. I, Blackburn have seven points, but have not been impressed with them. I watched their game against Watford there. I thought they were very, very lucky to to get all three points out of that game. Um, I think it does speak to a, a tendency with them to hugely overperform their sort of expected goals and underlying data, which I think is luck and Sam thinks is being very good on the counter-attack. Um, I certainly think with them, they are really, they, they have sort of one or two moments every game that are reliably very dangerous. But I really think if we take the game to them, there's no reason we can't get something against them. Preston, likewise, I think have, is it 10 points Preston have? I think they're, I think they're unbeaten still. Yeah, they're on 10 out of 12. But to be honest, I mean, I look at their squad and I'm not sorts of players who are cropping up as goal scorers with no disrespect to them and obviously knowing full well but I'm going to have to eat my words in a couple of weeks are not players I look at and I'm really really scared of compared to other teams in this league obviously we know what Lowe's about they're a functional team they're also quite streaky and, and that's sort of always been the case with Lowe a little bit right and and so it wouldn't you know surprise me if they have a really good start to the season and then a big barren patch for me they look really mid-table and I, and I you know and I think a few sort of narrow wins against teams that are not necessarily all that great so far is not Good for them, you know, um, but it's not it's not really necessarily changing my opinion of, of them and thinking they're they're likely to be a playoff team. And who else in yeah, Holland Bristol City, the other ones in there. I think Bristol City look hot and cold, which you know, having some good friends who are Bristol City fans has been the case for them for pretty much the entire Nigel Pearson era. Um, could very much see us going there and losing 2-0 and getting pretty roundly beaten, could also see us going and, and winning there. You know, I think that their start to the season doesn't really change that assessment for me. And Hull um, have, have signed well. Uh, there's a couple of rumours of other players who are meant to be coming in, although I believe that Keenan Davis is one of those, the, the Aston Villa striker, and I believe he's now gone elsewhere, right, Aaron? You were saying he's come to... He's off to Swansea, yeah. Off to Swansea. I mean, that, he, he was basically being called a Hull player for the last few days. So, yeah, we'll see how, how that goes. But, yeah, obviously we know they've signed Scott Twine. We know what he can do. So, again, that, but, the, but again, they're one, you know, they drew at home to Bristol City on Friday night, which I don't think is a massively massively impressive result to be honest i think if bristol city can go there and get a point so can we so yeah i think i think i think there's a lot of teams like these in the championship that we will have to pick up not points every single week against them because if we do that we'll be you know on the, you know in the playoff conversation but we haven't i don't think we've really played any of this kind of type of side yet i think we've you know the four games we've had have been against well i think actually watford probably are in that bracket but when we played Watford, they just come off a 4-0 opening day win and the narrative around them was, you know, charging up at the right end of the table. Um, but beyond that, I think we've played 
team in Southampton who are definite promotion challengers, team in Birmingham who are in transition, but I think look a, a little bit a cut above some of those other teams we're playing in September for me on paper. Um, and Huddersfield, who I think will struggle and are already struggling. So, yeah, it's um it's going to be an interesting month to see what our level is compared to that kind of calibre of team. But I can't say that their starts to the season have massively changed my personal... I- I, I, I would I would probably agree. I think there is definitely the potential there that you know we could find these games tr- tricky and go on a, a winless run, as John kind of alluded to in the answer before. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we came within the width of a post away from Morgan Whitaker getting the winner against um, Southampton, and we came within a, a header off the line. Admittedly, from you know maybe could have struck it a bit cleaner, whatever. But we came within a header off the line away from getting a winner and stopping some against Birmingham. So. Very, very, very fine margin indeed away away from coming out of those two games of six points out of six. So no reason to think why we can't get wins in those games for me. Yeah, Nor- Norwich are the one out of those teams to me who look by far the, the best. I probably would put them in the Birmingham tier of being a cut above the others. Um, so maybe I would I would exempt that from my analysis. But, you know, we're at home against them and we've, we've shown what we can do to teams at home. Yeah, our last one, one last Twitter question then from uh, Pilgrim PT. Uh, I'll give this one to you, John, and, and feel free to basically ignore the question and, and continue your uh, pre-recording uh, rant about uh, Middlesbrough and Josh Coburn. Uh, Pilgrim <laughs> Petey asks, uh, would you like to see one or two strikers come in before the deadline? And also, what other positions would you like strengthened if we have the money left in the budget? Um, yeah, well, obviously, we'd love two strikers to, to come in. Um, we've lost two strikers over the summer in, in Ennis, going to Blackburn and Cosgrove. Um, who I mean, Stansfield. Do you want Stansfield. to give us any more names to fuel the uh, the Twitter transfer rumors, like your last FIFA more shout? <laughs> um, no. Well, I mean, obviously the one the one who is being really strongly linked now is Josh Coburn from from Middlesbrough. Um, that's not you know half the press exclusive news was kind of reported by the Herald as. Although I was interested actually that the Herald reported the Coburn news sort of confirming a scoop from up north, which basically the scoop basically said we had, we had done the deal for him. And Errington's report for, for the Herald was based, Chris Errington's report was basically, um, he's one of a number of players we we're in talks over. So confirming an interest, but certainly not in anything like the same kind of definitive terms. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm a little sceptical just because I don't really see why Borough would loan him to us. Um, I think at the beginning of the season, you could they they might have looked at it and thought, you know, we're going to be automatic promotion contenders after getting to the playoffs last season and at times looking so good under Michael Carrick and Plymouth, are, you know, newly promoted also rounds, they'll be fighting for survival. But, you know, so far we look much better than them. Uh, and I'm not massively surprised about that, actually, because I, I had Borough down as one who, while I think they will finish above us in the end, look nowhere near as strong as last season for me. Um, and, and so, you know, I think sort of assuming that, that then the Coburn would not be alone to a direct rival of theirs is presumptuous at this stage. Um, and you know, and the, and the available points data would suggest that we're a better side than them, not you know, not a worse one. So obviously, you know, clubs do make sort of strange-looking loan decisions when it's just a question of a player who doesn't fit one system who can fit in another team system, and it's not considered to be such a kind of life or death rivalry that you want to deny that team any any kind of points advantage. Um, this happens, you know, every single season at every level of the pyramid. So it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't necessarily massively surprise me if he comes in. But, uh, you know, from their point of view, I'm not sure I quite get the logic. And I also think that it seems to be dependent on them bringing in, you know, at least one one other striker themselves. And obviously, given how tight the, the striker market is at the moment, as we ourselves are experiencing, there's no guarantee that they'll they'll land their their targets. And they might just think, well, you know, we're going to stick with him. So, yeah, I think 
the persistent rumours have been around him and Kiefer Moore. Obviously, I think Moore will be a game-changing signing if there is anything to that. I think some people have suggested that's outlandish, that we would get a kind of Premier League quality player. I think that it's absolutely plausible he could come here, um, as, as I mentioned on a previous pod. But, you know, I have no no insight into intelligence into whether that's likely or not. Um, but, yeah, you know, obviously in Ennis and Cosgrove, we have lost you know, uh, two different profiles of striker. I think the one that they're clearly looking to replace profile-wise is, is Cosgrove, right? Like someone who can be that, uh, you know, I don't want to reduce Cosgrove to a battering ram. He's actually, he was actually very good technically with his feet, good finisher. But, you know, someone obviously we did throw in games against like Wickham, for example, where we knew it was going to be a physical test and we wanted a different dimension up front. If the, Just a quick, a quick sub-question. If the transfer window was shutting at midnight tonight, would you take Cosgrove back? Yes, but like as a absolute, uh, it, it, again, I, I don't want this to come across as overly critical of him. Um, I think he could absolutely do a job in this squad, but I also think we could do better. And the other names that we're linked with, I think, would be better options, including Coburn, who I think might not necessarily be on paper a better player than Cosgrove right now, but is twenty. You know, has a, obviously a lot of growth potential. Could be a really breakout star for us if he were to come down here. I'd be surprised if Cosgrove came down here and like had the season of his career and scored, you know, 25 goals. Whereas if Coburn did that, but you know, having said that, I think, I think this profile of striker that we're clearly trying to bring in, they're probably not being brought in to like score a hat, you know, a hat ton of goals as the, as the primary thing. Right. I mean, it sounds perverse to say, because obviously you do bring in strikers to score goals and, and clearly there'll be an expectation that they'll chip in, but Ryan Hardy's doing really well in the goal-scoring stakes at the moment. Obviously, we know that Whisker, Mumba, Azaz, you know, those players can chip in from midfield. I, I think it's much more this player would be brought in to kind of bring a more muscular dimension and sort of be able to hold the ball up. And, and obviously, we know Cosgrove can can do that. So it wouldn't be by any means a disastrous signing. But again, yeah, that would be if it's, you know, a question of doing this deal right at the last minute. Um, the loan, the loan rumors I've heard about for him are very much going back to League One, which for me I think is is probably slightly more his level than the Championship. That's just my my personal view. Um, although yeah, if he does end up coming back, we'll we'll welcome him. Um, but yeah, so so I think to answer the question, two obviously two would be excellent if we can pick up someone else who's a kind of more you know Niall Ennis type player or, or just something who you know someone who offers something a bit different to Hardy and Wayne and this sort of hypothetical other striker that would be excellent. And, and 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 yeah, and in terms of other positions, I think you know maybe Sam will weigh in on this. I'm sure, and probably has a slightly different view to me. I don't think we're we're looking massively short uh, in other in other positions necessarily. Um, there's talk about a left back, given that early is um, seemingly out with with a fairly serious injury for a few months, which is a real blow. My concern about that is if you sign a left. I mean, we've only got one loan slot left, right? Unless I'm unless I'm wrong. I think that's clearly going to be used on a striker. So we've, you... we've only got one match day loan squad. But... Okay. So, yeah, in theory, you could get a left back. But, in but nobody's going to send us a left back who is, you know, potentially going to sit on the bench once. Uh, sit out of the squad once. Yeah, and and, and you I know, guess it's feasible. We could just we could just do like kind of a, a return to silly roulette, where one of the you know one of the six misses out each game, and it's a different one each time. But I think we'd probably want to avoid that if we could. Or we sign a left back as a kind of make weight very explicitly. You're here as injury cover. Don't expect to play. There might be some players who would come here under those conditions if it's someone who's going to be sat out of the squad somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I agree. It doesn't make a ton of sense. I also think personally that if we if we're creative, we've actually got a fair amount of cover in that left that left back position. Honestly. Um, 
think there are different systems and different personnel we can try who might not be necessarily a kind of natural fit there but but who do we know when gillespie's back because i can imagine he would be the most likely to to fit he he is already back in full training it's just a question of giving a bit of match sharpness could obviously miss the entirety of pre-season i think schumacher said he could be considered for squads again after the international break right okay yeah so there's that there's there's joe edwards who we know can can switch sides um I mean, an extremist Mumba, uh, you, you lose a bit of an attacking outlet there, but he obviously is someone who has played, um, I believe he's played as a left back for us before in a four, right? Certainly obviously played as the left wing back for us, um, which is a which is a very different position in many respects, but but not so different that you couldn't envisage him falling back there. Kessler Hayden obviously would be the first choice at the moment. Um, Miller, you know, well, obviously has fitness questions of his own, but at the moment does seem to be fit. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I you know, per, maybe this is controversial. Personally, my view, of it, my view of it would be if we have one other, you know, in this sort of hypothetical scenario, one more player who can come in, I would sign a central midfielder because I think that that area is where depth probably is like slightly lacking for me. And over the course of the season, you know, if Houghton doesn't necessarily continue this early form he's established, if Randall maybe takes some time to find his feet, you know, Warrington, we haven't seen too much from him so far. Obviously, he's a bit of a question mark over him, not in a negative way necessarily, but, but, but he's kind of an unknown quantity. You know, if you could offer me a Jay Matete style kind of destroyer type breakup play midfielder who's just got a bit more steel about them and a bit more kind of defensive mindedness i personally would that would be my my kind of second top priority after a striker more so than a than a left back i just think that's one type of player we don't really have in the squad at the moment um that i think would improve us in terms of depth the the question that i wasn't i was going to skip over is basically about what we're talking about anyway from mike uh michael sorry is is our squad unbalanced especially in the attacking areas whilst i think our signings have been very good and have lots of versatility we seem to be stacked in both defense and midfield especially midfield, but injuries to even Mumba or Whitaker leaves us with basically Tyreek Wright. Yeah, but you, you can't massively you can't you can't necessarily legislate for all your key players to get injured though. I, I personally think we look pretty well stacked in in the attacking midfield department, honestly. Even if there was even if Whitaker was to limp off and be out for three months. I suppose the problem I suppose the difference is if we lose um, Whitaker, we we basically revert to the back five again, right? We put we put. I mean, one. losing losing Whitaker would be would be a real problem because he's really really good and a key player for us. More so than, oh no, we don't know, we don't really have any idea how we're going to accommodate a side that doesn't have him in it. Whereas, you know, if if say Warrington got an injury in training and Randall got a recurrence of his injury from last season, hypothetically, you, you pretty much have Jordan Houghton, right? Like Plegwazuelo apparently can play in defensive midfield. Condor, you could probably see dropping back a little bit, but that for me that looks a bit and butcher a little bit threadbare. I I kind of agree that we're stacked in defence and in and in, and in the attacking portion of midfield more so than in that kind of CDM area. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, it's not a problem. But I you know if we could bring in one more player on a free, I mean the one I would love, and, and you know I'm saying this not having really followed his transfer trajectory, so the sound of typing is me looking this up, but. I believe Dan Gosling is available on free transfer still, yeah. having been released by Watford. I I would love Dan Gosling to come in. I don't know what his fitness situation is. I know he had a very bad injury. But obviously, I just think he he is the profile of player. You know, Premier League experience recently, getting on a bit in years, so probably is not going to come on to move to a really big club. Maybe someone who is a bit better than us, but like because of injury, recent injury problems, maybe the sort of player who can 
who can um, be a realistic target for us, but just someone who's got a bit more of an experienced head. Yeah, uh, if I can just interject a couple of points in response to what John said. Well, firstly, I think, um, yeah, I, I'd also absolutely love Dan Gosling, um, not only for the to be a very good signing, but also in the, the, the nostalgic sense of kind of bookending our time out of the championship. You know, he, he was a great young player coming through a 16, 17, and now returning as a, a veteran, an old head, would be, would have a sort of poetic um, license to it. However, I think it's important to note that he's, a very different player from a sort of box-to-box destroyer, which is what Matete wants him to be all about, you know, calm, calm head, sitting deep and controlling the game from from, from um, central midfield, maybe like an upgraded version of David Fox rather than a actual midfield destroyer. The second thing I would want to say, which is about um, whether you know, the attacking midfield role. Sam, he's not a destroyer, but he's, he's also getting on a bit. Like, I don't know if he necessarily would be a super attack-minded well, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think he'd be either. I, think he'd, I don't think he'd be either. I think he'd be like a sort of a David Fox type in terms of sitting deep and, and controlling the game from deep, but also not being incredibly energetic either. But anyway, um, the second one I would like to make is about whether we'd need another one as an attacking midfielder or, 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 or a winger. What I would say is that the uh, what um, I think what this discourse has, has on, on, on Twitter and, and elsewhere maybe missed is it is it four three three. Well, similar is the different formation to four two three one. Now, in in through three season, even in the Huddersfield game, it was more of a four two three one in the sense that it was a double pivot deep, and it was three attacking midfielders interchanging behind the striker. In a, if it was to be a four two three one, I would agree because obviously Callum Wright, Adams, Cundall could all very much play an attacking midfield. Whereas since then, we shifted more to a four three three, where it's a single pivot in the form of Houghton with two central midfielders ahead of them. Whereas in that. You pretty much only have Whitaker and Mumba who can be wingers because whilst Stars and Cundall could be good attacking midfielders, I don't see them as wingers. I think that's a different skill set. Callum Wright, I think maybe could be more of a winger, but again, I think Callum Wright is more suited to a four-two-three-one rather than a four-three-three. So I know it may seem a bit like the, the narcissism of small differences, picking over the difference between a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three, but I think there are very important differences, and on that logic. If we um, go back more towards the four-two-three-one, I would agree we don't really need to sign any attacking midfielders because we've got a lot of them. However, if we are really insistent about it being more of a four-three-three, I think in a four-three-three as such, as Lazzy Cundall could probably only really play deeper. They couldn't play as wingers. So if it's going to be a four-three-three, I would like to see another winger. We'll call that a night, I think. But before we go, just a reminder to vote for us if you can in this year's Football Content Awards. Hopefully this pod has gone nice and smoothly and I've edited it properly uh, and things make sense. Um, and just to let you know, we'll be podcasting live on Twitter on Wednesday night. So do join us there to review the beating of Palace. Uh, cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.